inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training, equestrian sports, and building a better connection with your horse. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Let's start with some updates from my ranch. It's actually been a very busy spring for me. I've been traveling to quite a few horse expos and horsemanship clinics. We had a great time recently at Equine Affair in Ohio. It was my first time presenting there since 2018, mostly because of the disruptions that were caused by the pandemic and the canceling of large public events. So it was really great for me to connect with so many of my followers. I also had some really great help in my booth. I want to give a special shout out of gratitude to my very capable helpers, Lucy, Sue, and Julie. Here at the farm, my little horse, Annie, is still at the vet's breeding facility. In case you missed it, as part of my horse goals or bust for this year, I decided to breed Annie to a stallion called Bet He's a Cat. He's an outstanding cow horse stallion from the Four Sixes Ranch in Texas. Annie was inseminated two weeks ago, but unfortunately, she did not settle into pregnancy on the first go-around. She'll be getting some additional treatments, and it's a little bit of a challenge because she's a 16-year-old maiden mare, meaning she's never been bred before, so she's a little bit over the hill for this, but with some good treatment from the vet and some careful monitoring, We'll be going for round two of artificial insemination soon in, in about a week. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that and stay tuned for more information on that later. Coming up, I've still got a few trips pending this spring that I'm excited about. By the time you're listening to this podcast, I'll be up in Granby, Colorado for the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. That program I co-teach with Barbara Schulte. She's my dear friend, colleague, and a renowned cutting horse trainer. Um, we've got a full house for this particular clinic, but you should check out my fall clinic schedule at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. There's still a few openings in my ranch riding adventure program and also the horsemanship immersion programs that are offered in October. All my programs at the Sea Lazy U Ranch are all-inclusive of your meals, lodging, horses, and the program itself. And I can absolutely guarantee you'll have an incredible experience there. We have daily riding lessons, trail riding in the mountains, luxurious accommodations, plus gourmet meals three times a day. You, you really just can't beat this for a fabulous horse vacation. After the wholeness retreat, I've got another horsemanship clinic near Redmond, Oregon. That's May 20th and 21st. For details on this and all my upcoming events, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And to get the latest training advice and updates from me, be sure you sign up for my weekly newsletter at juliegoodnight.com slash news. You can find my online training resources, membership programs, and one-on-one -on -one online coaching program at juliegoodnight.com slash academy. 
Plus, you can find innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Today's topic is about appropriate and functional apparel and accessories for your equestrian pursuits. Outfitting yourself for success, so to speak, no matter what your goals look like. I'll talk about rider apparel, your horse's attire and accessories, safety considerations, as well as some tips to keep both you and your horse comfortable as you tackle the upcoming riding season. I hope you're all coming along for the ride with me on Horse Goals or Bust. This is a year-long program to help you achieve your horsemanship dreams. Whether your goal is modest or incredibly ambitious, it's going to take time to accomplish anything that's worthwhile, and that's why this is a year-long program. For Horse Goals or Bust, we've broken it down into monthly steps. I think right now we're about five months into it. I've put together some helpful and free resources for you on goal setting. We've addressed horse fitness, rider fitness, skill assessment for both horse and rider, and how to develop an appropriate training plan for you and your horse. You can find everything you need all in one place at juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals. You know, it's not too late to get caught up if you haven't started yet. So be sure to check the show notes for links to all this information. And in my what the hey Q&A at the end of this podcast, I'll answer questions from listeners about earplugs for horses. And also we'll talk about a Mustang mare who has mastered the skill of rip and run. Now let's get started on the main topic, outfitting yourself for success. First, I'd like to address the rider. What should you expect to wear in your horse activities? Let's talk about how to make sure you are prepared with the appropriate attire for whatever event you're attending. Maybe it's a clinic, a trail ride, a lesson program. And we'll also talk about why this is so important. In general, your attire is important because form must always follow function. In other words, don't wear something just because it looks pretty. This is a favorite quote of mine from Frank Lloyd Wright. It's about architecture, but it applies to a lot of things. And he said, does it serve a purpose or will it get in your way? I think this is particularly appropriate for riding apparel. So why is attire important at a lesson or a clinic? Well, in most instances, you want to wear what's called neat working attire in a lesson or a clinic. Not, not formal or show attire, but clean, neat, tucked in, form-fitting, comfortable, and functional clothing. Dressing the part of whatever activity you're doing is really important in many ways. First of all, I think it shows respect to the trainer to not show up looking sloppy. It shows you take this opportunity to to train with them very seriously. And it just gives you a professional appearance um, like you're there to work. And I think that's uh, an important attitude to bring to the table. It's also important in a lesson or clinic setting to wear something that will allow the instructor to actually see your form. 
I need to be able to see your shoulders, your torso, your hips, your legs. And it's going to be very difficult for me to coach you to be a better rider if I can't really see what you're doing underneath um, bulky or baggy apparel. So some examples of uh, clothing would be excessively baggy apparel, tops or bottoms. You don't have to wear tight stuff, but I need to be able to see what you're doing with your body. Heavy coats can get in the way of being able to uh, see what's going on underneath. Uh, bulky vests are the same way. Just give it some consideration. Um, and even in some regards, the higher level a rider you are, the more important this is because I'm going to be making really small adjustments to your form. And if I can't really see what's going on under there, uh, I'm, I'm going to miss some things. It's also important that you dress appropriately for the actual discipline that you're riding. And I know Google gets confused by this, but let me be clear what we mean by discipline. It means the specific style of riding that you're doing, not just English or Western, but more detailed than that. Are you jumping? Are you riding dressage? Are you riding saddle seat? Are you trail riding? Are you cutting? Are you roping? You know, all of these are, um, you know, the, the big disciplines are English Western, but we want to dress appropriately for the sub-discipline as well. And usually what's appropriate is related to functionality. If you're not sure what's typical for your discipline, or maybe you're starting out in a whole new discipline this year, look at some images online or go to an event where you can observe what the norm is. Um, maybe you want to subscribe to a magazine that caters to that specific discipline. Look at the advertising, look at the pictures, and you know, figure it out through observation. Depending on the discipline you ride, it may be appropriate, for instance, for you to wear long sleeves. This is true of trail riding, most Western disciplines, cross-country jumping, just to name a few. Mostly that has to do with preventing sunburn, preventing insect bites, or perhaps protection from scrapes or road rash. You know what I mean in, in the event of an unscheduled dismount. So make sure you know what the norm is for that discipline and you try to match it as closely as possible. Not only is that for functionality, but you know, you want to make sure that you feel comfortable in that group. Not to get too personal here, but I think you want to pay a little bit of attention as well to your undergarments. Undergarments matter. They matter a lot, particularly when they're uncomfortable. So make sure you have comfortable underwear that doesn't have seams or elastic across your seat bones or in other places that might rub. You know, a lot of people like the boy shorts style of undies. Um, and also they make padded underwear for riders um, in the boy shorts style. Um, I believe the brand name is called Ponytails. So if your rear end tends to get a little bit sore, you might want to look into that. You know, we're all built differently, but also the kind of bra you use when you ride can make a huge difference in your comfort level and also in your appearance. So um, for me, I like to wear a supportive sports bra when I ride. Um, my favorite one is a North Face running bra. 
I like it because it's a really soft and comfortable material, yet it provides good support. Again, all of us are a little bit different in this department, and so we each need a different kind of bra or upper body support. But since you're going to be riding all day long and also be in a very active mode, make sure whatever bra you use doesn't chafe, um, that it is comfortable all day long, and that it does keep things contained, if you know what I mean. If you're unsure about what kind of attire is appropriate for your discipline or for the activity you're attending, it never hurts to ask the organizer if there's a dress code or any kind of expected attire. We get that question all the time for clinics, and we're always happy to answer it. We want people to be prepared, and we want them to feel as comfortable as they can be. So just don't be afraid to ask. You know, dressing correctly for the activity you do will also add to your confidence level. You know, you always want to look the part and you always want to feel like you fit in. At least I do. I learned this lesson by attending dressy business events with my husband. I wanted to, you know, kind of be impressive. And so I would put on fancy clothes and, and or, you know, high-heeled shoes, stuff I would never normally wear. And then I would be uncomfortable throughout the whole event I'm actually a pretty casual person. I'm most comfortable in sweatpants and a hoodie. So if I try to dress up too much, it just makes me feel uncomfortable and self-conscious. So I think it's really important to feel authentic and spending a little time thinking about what the right attire is for the activity you're doing is going to be time well spent. Let's talk for a moment about why appropriate attire is important on a trail ride or any kind of outdoor event. You know, there's a high probability the weather will change or will not adhere to the forecast. So it's important to be prepared. Rarely will things be called off for bad weather when you're doing horse sports. Um, horse people are supposed to be tough. So we just sort of suck it up and endure the weather. So you want to be prepared for all kinds of weather, any weather that might be possible. In a lot of places that you go, particularly in the spring and the fall, it could be cold in the mornings and blazing hot by the afternoon. So you want to make sure you bring layers, um, just like all outdoor sports. Wear breathable clothes to keep you cool on a hot day. I always bring leggings too, uh, thin leggings, um, you know, similar to workout pants. I don't like real slick stuff, but um, some thin leggings. I like to have them for several reasons. One is just simply for warmth. You know, you never know when it's going to be colder than than you expected. I get cold pretty easily, so I'm more concerned about, <laughs> and I live in the mountains, I guess it comes from that, but I'm, I tend to be more concerned about getting cold than I am about getting hot. So I also like having leggings on or, or with me for lounging around at night um, just to be comfortable. And also, just a little professional tip here, um, leggings can really help you prevent leg rash. If you're in the saddle all day and doing some rugged riding, um, my uh, knees and uh, the middle part of my legs often will sort of get chafed and maybe develop a little rash. And that can get really uncomfortable really fast. So uh, leggings can help prevent that. 
I think it's important to have a sun shirt to protect you from the sun. And of course, in hot weather, you want to make sure your long sleeve sun shirt is a light color to help keep you cool. Rain gear could be really important. In most places you go, you're going to want to be prepared for rain. And uh, I like rain gear that is specifically made for equestrian sports. Generally, they have splits up the side or in the back. Uh, Generally, they'll have a flap that allows your raincoat to cover the saddle and your upper legs, um, as well as your uh, shoulders and torso. That can make a really big difference in your comfort level when you are, um, you know, in a heavy rain for an extended period of time. And if you are riding in a full-length slicker, which I do, I carry with me a full-length slicker. So it, it comes down around my legs. It splits kind of in two. It covers and it has a, a gusset in the back to cover the back of my saddle. If you don't have that, by the way, the water just drips right down your back and into the saddle. So your bottom gets soaking wet. Um, That's really uncomfortable. So that gusset in the back that you can pull back over the back of your saddle, uh, really going to help. The leg flaps in a full length slicker are generally going to have a strap that comes around your leg somewhere to keep them from flapping too much. Make sure your horse is accustomed to whatever rain gear you're going to use. If it's, you know, bright yellow, or if it's really big and long and flappy, might take them a minute to get used to it. So, so practice all that stuff before you leave home. Another thing that's important for trail riding and other outdoor activities with horses is to make sure whatever riding boots you wear actually have a, a, a sole that has good traction and is comfortable and safe for walking in on rough terrain just in case you have to get off and walk your horse or in case you're going to be doing a lot of standing. So I like to wear, I have some waterproof Jodfer boots, zip up that, you know, have a a rubber type sole. I want to make sure the sole of my riding boot is not so bulky that it's going to get stuck in the stirrup. So we want, you know, want it to have a a smaller profile. Um, But if you are wearing, for instance, a traditional leather-soled cowboy boot and you go out on the trail and then you have to walk across, you know, a scree slope or, um, you know, walk around a, an obstacle or something, it's going to be very tricky walking in those slick-soled boots. So that's an important consideration. They have to be safe both for riding which means they have a a lower profile and a one inch, half inch to one inch heel, but also something that gives you traction for walking on rough terrain. If your riding goals include attending a horse show or a competition of any kind, it is super important to dress according to the rule book. These things tend to be highly specified in the rules of whatever discipline you compete. And sometimes the rules are quite picky in this regard. Um, Maybe it requires long sleeves. Maybe the rule book says no shaps allowed. Maybe it says you must wear shaps. Maybe it says either wear a Western hat or a helmet, but you can't come in with a bare head, uh, can't wear a baseball cap, etc. Depending on the actual competition that you are doing, 
the rule book can be very particular. At a competition, you could actually be disqualified for having the wrong attire on yourself or your horse. So make sure you go over the rules and get it right. If it's a local show, they might not have their own rule book. All you need to do is ask the organizers what rule book they default to. Oftentimes, it's the U.S. Equestrian Federation rule book. It covers pretty much all the disciplines, or sometimes they use an AQHA rule book, also covers uh, so many of the disciplines. These are two of the biggest rule books out there, so they're often used as a default rule book in open shows. And both of these books contain a wealth of information, not just on the tack and attire expected for each class, but also on the gates, the order in which you will um, display those gates, maneuvers you might have to do, uh, the class procedures, how you will be judged, what kind of bit you can use, all sorts of useful information in the rule book. It's definitely worth studying if you're going to be going into any kind of competition. So now let me talk for a moment about some safety considerations as it applies to rider attire. First and most obvious, I'm a big believer in wearing an ASTM-approved equestrian helmet. It's not hard to do, and it affords you significant protection from head injury, which is one of the most common injuries we sustain around horses. To me, it's not worth the risk to go without it. I rely on my brain far too much, and I have had personal experience with family members with traumatic brain injuries, and it's something I wish to avoid experiencing again at all costs. You know, if you fasten your seatbelt when you get in your car, why wouldn't you wear a helmet while you're riding? For myself, I prefer Troxel helmets because they just tend to fit my head well, and I like their style. Also, Troxel is a leader in the industry in terms of safety, research, and innovation. There's some new helmet technology out there now. It's called MIPS, and that stands for Multi-Impact Protection System. And the MIPS system helps reduce rotational injuries to the brain. Now, you might say, what the heck is that? Well. You, you might have learned about this through watching football or, or other rugged sports, but your brain can be injured in more than one way. So one thing that could cause brain injury is a simple impact onto the ground or a rock or onto any hard object. So that would be an actual impact or hit to the head. But a rotational injury refers to simply the jarring that occurs on your brain, you could have a rotational, a very significant injury that is rotational in nature, meaning that um, your head moved with such violence, and even though it didn't hit anything, it caused your brain to slosh around in the skull. And this can cause significant bleeding uh, within the brain and it can be just as serious as an impact injury. So the new technology called MIPS, it helps to reduce rotational injury of the brain. So I am now riding in a 
Troxel terrain helmet with MIPS technology because, you know, in terms of safety, uh, every little bit counts, I think. By the way, if you are in the market for a new helmet and you want to take advantage of some of the new styles and or take advantage of the new technology, you can get a 15% discount on a Troxel helmet. Just go to troxelhelmets.com and use the promo code goodnight. And not only do you get a 15% discount on the helmet, which is significant, but you'll also get free shipping on the helmet. So that's a great deal. These days, I'm seeing more and more riders wearing protective vests when they ride. Now, these vests are made specifically for horseback riding. We used to only see riders uh, either in cross-country jumping or rodeo riding rough stock wearing the protective vests. But now all sorts of riders wear them from trail riders to uh, casual riders to competitive riders in, in other disciplines. There are a couple of different kinds of protected vests. Some of them offer shell type uh, rigid protection of your torso. They could be important for preventing, you know, breaking a rib or getting your abdomen stepped on. And there are also self-inflating airbags. These have become really popular of late as well. So they're, you, they're built in with a tether that hooks to your saddle. And when you become separated unexpectedly from your horse, they inflate. And that kind of gives you, uh, you know, airbag protection, not unlike what you might have in your car. So these are two different types of protection that you can get from protective vests made specifically for equestrians. I would encourage you to do some research, to talk to people that use them, to go to some tax stores and explore the different brands and types available um, to make a decision about what's the best thing for yourself. Some additional safety apparel might include wearing chaps. I know back east people call them chaps, <laughs> but Actually, a little bit of trivia for you here. The name Shaps came from the word chaparral, which is what we have out here in the West. Uh, we ride a lot in, you know, sagebrush, bushy type terrain. And the chaparral has, you know, is famous for having a lot of stickers and uh, pokey sticks that might poke into your legs as you're riding through. And so the cowboys way back when, they made these uh, leather leggings, thick leather leggings to help protect their legs from riding in the chaparral. And that's why we call them chaps. And they are great for trail riding and other kind of rugged activities with horses just to kind of protect your legs from any kind of wear and tear that you might get from brushes, branches, stickers, even ropes, um, that sort of thing. Wearing long sleeves can be important. Um, you know, it's not going to be a huge amount of protection, but it will afford you some protection from biting insects, from brushing up against branches and getting scrapes and that sort of things. I, I would say the same thing about gloves. You know, there's nothing worse to get about halfway through the day and you're starting to wear a little blister on your hand. Maybe your horse has been a little fussy and you've been having to use the reins 
more than normal or the reins got wet and you're having to grip a little harder. So I always wear gloves when I'm riding. I just like having that extra protection. I'm, I grew up wearing gloves when I was riding, so I'm, I'm just kind of used to it. But at the very least, I would carry some with you in case uh, your hands get a little, little chapped or uh, cold or you want to prevent um, from scrapes and blisters and um, rubbing off your knuckles, that kind of thing. You know, most of us are going to carry a cell phone when we're riding. Uh, these days, for, for most of us, that's our camera too. I would encourage you to make sure your cell phone is always on your body and not in a saddlebag. There are many, many stories about people whose cell phone was in their saddlebag and they fall off the horse and the horse takes off and leaves them behind with no way to call for help. So same thing for personal ID. You want to make sure that is on your body as well. Um, who to call in the event of emergency, your name, um, any kind of medical information that you might need to convey. Make sure that is in a pocket or something attached to your body and not on the horse for the same reason in case you become separated from the horse. However, you want to keep an ID tag on your horse as well in case he becomes separated from you. A luggage tag works great for this. So just find a luggage tag and make sure your name, address, and phone number are there in that tag and then attach it to your horse somewhere where it's not going to get rubbed off on the saddle or someplace that's a little bit protected. And finally, just talking about safety apparel and accessories I think it's important to always carry a knife with you on your body, easily accessible when you're working around horses. And it is important that the knife has a rope cutting blade, not a smooth blade. So you want a serrated blade so that um, the main purpose for this is if your horse gets in a bind or if somehow you or someone else gets tangled in a rope, that you have a means to cut it quickly before somebody gets badly hurt. I always carry a knife. I also always carry a knife when I'm boating. It's attached to my life jacket for the same reason. I've only ever had to deploy the knife one time in my whole life in a situation that somebody was kind of tangled up in a rope. But I think if you carry it your whole life and never need it, it's better than to have needed it once and not had it. So think about that. Uh, make sure you have it someplace you can get to it easily. And make sure you know how to open that knife blade quickly. If it's a uh, folding bladed knife, make sure it has a protected sheath if it is a fixed blade knife. Now let's talk about appropriate attire and accessories for your horse. I can't really go into too much detail here because this varies greatly with the discipline you're riding, the type of activity you're doing, or the competition you may be attending. Remember, read the rule book and ask more experienced participants and go and observe before you actually participate in that activity. It may be a good idea to go and observe and, and look at the details, look at, uh, you know, the people that seem to be the most knowledgeable and the most experienced and figure out what they're doing with their horses. When it comes to your tack and equipment, 
Make sure you know what it is that you're using, how to use it properly, and how to adjust it properly. I wish I could say that everyone did that all the time, but I know from my lifetime of experience teaching clinics, even doing the TV show, that there are a lot of people riding horses with inappropriate equipment. One time I was at a clinic, I was actually there riding in the clinic as a student. It was a cutting clinic. And there was a guy, it was before the clinic started, and there was a guy there, and he was clearly at the beginner level for, for this sport. And he came up to me and he said, oh, I, are you Julie Goodnight? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, I, you know, whatever, I enjoy your reading your stuff or something. So he knew who I was. and. So as I was talking to him, I looked down at his horse's legs and he he was all tacked up and uh, and mounted on his horse. We were warming up. The clinic was just about to start at any moment. And I looked down and I noticed that he actually had shipping boots on his horse's legs instead of protective boots like sports medicine boots. And I thought to myself, you know, he didn't come here to take a clinic from me, but you know, I don't want the guy to be embarrassed. So I'm going to, I'm going to give him a little advice. And I said, Hey, you know, those boots you have on are not actually made for riding. They're made for being in a horse trailer. And, you know, you might want to think about either taking them off or putting more appropriate boots on. (laughs) And anyway, he looked at me like I was from the moon and went on and entered the clinic anyway. And then he got the same advice from the clinician in front of the entire group. So um, there's a little bit of advice for you to kind of uh, lean on more experienced people to help you make sure you're using the right apparel. I have seen riders come into clinics with the bits attached upside down to the headstall, and I've seen it many times. You know, sometimes the bits themselves are a little confusing. Mylar bits can be very confusing with all the moving parts. But gosh, think about how hard that is on the horse. And then in some instances, the people have been riding that way for quite some time. So again, make sure you're using your equipment appropriately. It's very common for people to come into a clinic using a curb bit, but with no curb strap. So that doesn't really work. The bit does not function properly and it's going to be very uncomfortable in the horse and you're not going to have much control. So there's another little area that is common for people to make mistakes. And then also, it's it's not hard, particularly in terms of competition, to use equipment that's actually illegal by the rule book and will lead to your disqualification. So Often there are common everyday pieces of equipment that we use giving no thought to it, but the rule book may prohibit. So make sure you're on the right side of the rule book there. Let's talk specifically for a moment about proper attire for horses on a trail ride. Most of us are going to use on a long extended trail ride anyway, we're going to carry some sort of saddle bag or pommel bag. It's a great idea. You can carry your essentials there, but just a few caveats. First of all, make sure it's a good fit on your saddle and for your horse. In other words, it's not hanging too far forward or too far back or off to the side. Make sure it's not excessively bouncing. It should be tied down 
in different directions so that when you're trotting and cantering, it's not bouncing excessively on the horse. Make sure in the case of a saddle bag or pommel bag that stretches both sides of the horse, that it is very evenly weighted. You don't want it pulling on one side, shifting to one side. And then finally, make sure you don't overload it. Your horse is already packing around a lot of weight between you and the saddle and the pad and your rain gear and your water bottle too. Don't take stuff you don't need and don't overload the horse just because you have big saddle bags. That can be really hard on your horse. Let's talk for a minute about the type of reins that you use in trail riding. And this, this could apply to many other activities as well. Often people wonder, should I use split reins? Should I use loop reins? Either of these things can be useful. The, the big warning about split reins is they're easy to drop. If you don't tie the ends together, you could easily drop a rein. That's not really the disaster you might think it is if you know how to retrieve a dropped rein. Um, so if I drop my left rein, all I got to do is ask the horse to turn his nose all the way to the right with the right rein, and then I can reach under and pick up the left rein. But depending on the rider and their ability level and how reliable the horse is, Dropping a rein at the wrong moment could be a dangerous thing. I like riding, particularly trail riding, in a closed loop rein. Uh, my rope reins are really well designed for this. It's a continuous loop that goes from one side of the bed all the way around to through your hands and to the other side of the bed. That way I can lay them down on the horse's neck. I can loop them over the horn when I hop off. Um, but make sure whatever range that you're using for trail riding, you want to make sure that you have plenty of length in them. I need my horse to be able to carry his head low in a relaxed frame. I need him to be able to reach down to the ground level in order to drink or look at a tricky obstacle. And many of us are in the habit of riding with a short length of rain when we're riding in the arena. And while that might work in the arena, it's probably not going to work out on the trail. So you may find that you need a separate set of reins for trail riding. To me, the perfect length of a closed loop rein is about nine to 10 feet. Nine feet is going to work on almost all horses. If you have a horse with an excessively long neck, you might want a 10-foot rein. Those are the two links that my rope reins come in. And also, my rope reins attach with a really clever corded a, a quick release. And a lot of trail riders like to have a rein that they can snap off and on easily, kind of use as a lead rope when they need to. I prefer to stay away from any kind of metal buckle on the bit because of the vibration and the jingling feeling that the horse is going to get in his mouth from metal on metal connection. So you want to think about making sure whatever kind of reins that you use have either a rope or cord or leather connection to the bit, and that's going to give you a lot softer feel. But it is awfully handy to have a rein that has a quick release mechanism um, so check out my reins online at shop.juliegoodnight.com.
Also, when you're riding out on the trail and you're going to be out for a long time, half a day or a whole day or maybe uh, multiple days, it's really important to make sure you have a halter and lead rope with you at all times. Some people like to take the halter off the horse and tie the halter and lead rope onto the saddle. I prefer to leave the halter on underneath the headstall so that I can quickly hop off the horse and tie him up if I need to. There's no right or wrong answer here, and you can do it whichever way you prefer. Just make sure you bring a halter and lead rope. If you are going to ride with the halter under the headstall, I would prefer to use a flat nylon halter. A rope halter could cause some rubbing on your horse's face if it's under the headstall. So put your halter on first. Make sure it is adjusted high up on the horse's nose so it's not going to be anywhere near the bit. And then just put your headstall right over the halter. You may need to slightly adjust your headstall to accommodate the bulk of the halter. I prefer to leave my lead rope attached to the halter, and then I either take a coil and tie it onto the front of my saddle with the saddle strings, or I'll tie it around the horse's neck with a cavalry knot. But I want to be able to hop off my horse, undo that lead rope, and lead and tie him quickly in the event of emergency. And then it's just convenient whenever you stop for lunch or you stop for a break. Uh, you don't necessarily have to debridle the horse in order to tie him up. We never tie them up with the reins because, first of all, if they break, you're, you know, in a world of hurt out on a trail ride. And also, if he pulls back on that when he's tied with the bit, it could really damage and hurt his mouth. And and we don't, we don't want to take any chance of that. You might want to consider, if you're trail riding, a breast collar. Make sure it is appropriately adjusted so that it's not hanging down over the horse's shoulder. Also, some people like to use a crupper, and that is a strap that attaches to the back of your saddle and goes underneath the tail of the horse, and that would be to keep your saddle from moving forward uh, up and over the horse's withers, um, particularly when you're going downhill. Breast collar is going to help keep the saddle from sliding back. Um, in lieu of a crupper, you could also use what's called a britchen. And a britchen hangs kind of down over the rump of the horse and down um, just above the gaskin muscle, so below the buttocks. And again, that will help prevent your saddle from sliding forward. You know, if you have a great saddle fit on your horse, you might not need all this stuff. But if your saddle tends to move around, some of this stuff's going to help a lot. Just make sure it is appropriately adjusted. Protective leg boots may not be a good idea when you're trail riding. I generally leave them off, although I use them in the arena. One reason I don't use them on the trail is because, in general, you're not going to be doing the kind of advanced maneuvers that cause the horse to hit his legs with his feet. You know, generally on the trail, you're just going to be going along at a walk, maybe a little bit of trot and canter. So your horse may not need protective boots, but also when boots come off on the trail, it can really present a problem. You got to stop the ride. You got to go back and find them. Also, when you go through water, they're going to get wet and muddy. They're going to get 
gravel down inside them. They can often get burrs attached to them. So they're not really made for trail riding as much as they are for protecting the horse's legs in the arena. So you might want to think twice about that. If your horse has a specific problem that causes you to use protective boots, that's different. But in general purposes, we tend to stay away from that on on the trail. Whether or not your horse is equipped with horseshoes or he goes barefoot and utilizes hoof boots if needed, these are things that are going to depend a lot on your horse, the type of terrain you ride in, and the length of the ride. It's certainly possible to condition your horse to go barefoot, but it takes a long time. So you'll need to talk to your farrier about this well in advance, possibly as much as a year in advance. If you're thinking about taking your horse to a barefoot program, it is awesome for the health of your horse's hooves, but you want to make sure that he can endure the type of riding that you're going to be doing. Here in the Rocky Mountains, where we ride, It is so very rocky that it is uh, challenging to use a horse that's not shot, although plenty of people do. And um, there's some great equine hoof boots on the market. Just make sure you get boots that are perfectly fitted to the size of your horse's feet. Remember that his front feet are going to be shaped differently than his hind feet. So you have to get boots that fit the front feet and boots that fit the hind feet. And make sure they stay on because for the same reason that wearing protective leg boots might not be a good idea on the trail, if your hoof boots are coming off, it could really cause a problem, particularly if you're riding in a large group. So you want to make sure you have the absolute perfectly fitted boot and that you are well experienced in how they come on, how they come off, and make sure your horse is comfortable wearing them long before the trail ride that you go on. By the way, sometimes people come to clinics and they think that because they're riding in a nice groomed sandy arena that their horse's feet are not going to get sore, but that's not true. If you are riding your horse all day long in an arena and he's only used to being ridden 20, 30 minutes or an hour at a time, that horse could easily get foot sore by the end of the clinic or by the end of the day. And then your experience can really go downhill because of that. So if you are working in a barefoot situation, make sure at the very least you have hoof boots available as a backup and that you take the time well ahead of the clinic to condition your horse's feet to longer times in the saddle. All right, finally, I'd like to talk to you about some comfort items for the rider and for the horse. No matter what activity you're doing, I think to me being comfortable all day long is really important. I have a comfort pack that I never leave home without. And in it, it's just a little small, I use a a clear, you know, little satchel that I can see everything that's in it. And inside that, I have chapstick. Make sure it's chapstick with sunscreen in it because your lips are going to get blistered. I have a little package of tissues. I keep an assortment of Band-Aids from small ones to the very, very largest ones like I could put on my knees. And I keep a 
small tube of antibiotic ointment in there. If I'm going to use a Band-Aid because I got a blister or a cut or a scrape or a saddle sore, I'm probably going to want to put a little ointment on that sore spot. I also carry cortisone cream that you can buy at any drugstore. And that, to me, is one of the must-have things for comfort for a number of reasons. One is if you get insect bites, it's great for reducing itching and, and the swelling. If you develop any kind of discomfort in your bottom, which is not hard to do if you're in the saddle all day long, cortisone cream can be a game changer for that. I also carry a small little bottle of insect repellent you know, some people might even consider that a safety consideration, particularly if you're riding in areas where there are a lot of ticks and tick-borne illnesses. But whether it's gnats or mosquitoes or ticks or whatever, you know, you don't want to be swatting at them and covered in, in bites. I, I even will rub the repellent over top of my clothing to help reduce the insect. I've got a little thing of sunscreen, particularly for my face. And then I throw some hair ties in there as well. It seems like I'm always losing those. So, you know, whatever that thing is that you're going to be going to all day long, like your chapstick, put it in your comfort bag and keep that with you all the time. I think a water bottle is a necessity in almost any riding activity. You're going to get thirsty and it's important to stay hydrated. But please, please, please. Use a refillable bottle and avoid the one-use plastic water bottles. I think they're just a disaster for our environment. I think it's such a huge waste. Just give that a little thought, if you would. Some other things to think about in terms of comfort for humans. I already mentioned insect repellent and sunscreen and chapstick. Again, make sure the chapstick has sunscreen in it. That's not always easy to find, but it is is really important for your comfort. I like to carry a little thing of lotion just because my hands get dried out and you know feel like they're going to crack. I carry a small first aid kit with me somewhere in the truck or in my saddlebags, depending on what I'm doing. A bandana is a super handy item to have, whether you pull your hair back with it or you know wrap a wound or tie a knot, whatever. It can really come in handy as well. Or a silk scarf could be super useful when you're doing any kind of outdoor activity with horses. I prefer the silk scarf. The silk scarves just feel better against your skin, against your neck, and they are interestingly comfortable both when it's too hot and too cold. So that can be a handy item to keep your neck out of the sun or keep your neck warm. Or maybe you're even going to soak it in the creek and put it around your neck as a cooling device. It's just a handy item to have. They're also quite stylish. Uh, in fact, we sell them in our store at shop.juliegoodnight.com. You might want to think about some kind of sun hat when you're not wearing your helmet or get one of the sun brims that actually fit around your helmet to keep your face and neck out of the sun that can really help uh, in terms of your comfort level. For your horse's comfort, fly spray is an absolute must in most parts of the country in the summer. I prefer the Ultra Shield family of products for fly spray uh, because they come in various strengths. 
from the super heavy duty when the bugs are really, really bad to kind of a medium strength that I'll use when the bugs are just, you know, minor bad. And then also I I have a couple of horses that have super sensitive skin and they can be reactive to strong fly spray. Um, So UltraShield comes in a quote unquote green formula. In fact, it's a green bottle literally green. And it's an all natural product that those sensitive skin horses can tolerate quite well. And also for your horse, you want to make sure you carry a horse first aid kit. At the very least, you should have it in your trailer. You may want to have a compact kit that you carry with you out on the trail. I always carry banamine with me. Um, That's going to be the go-to drug in the event of a colic which can happen anywhere, anytime. And you could argue that, you know, being away from home and being out on the trail are times when it's more likely to happen. I take one dose in a syringe with the needle ready to go, but I'm trained to give it properly intravenously. If you cannot give an IV shot, you might want to talk to your vet about getting a banamine paste takes a little longer to work, but is easier to administer. So those are controlled substances. So you will have to get those from a licensed veterinarian. But if you have a good relationship with your vet, he or she should be happy to make sure your horse is safe when you're traveling. I also carry some bandaging supplies, just some, you know, some gauze, some vet wrap. I take silver honey wound ointment with me. It's a relatively new product that's just sort of um, taken the market by storm because of its effectiveness. You should check it out. Um, Also, I would take a small container of Silver Honey Shampoo. This is a brand new product on the market, and it's derivative of the Silver Honey Wound Ointment. And the shampoo can be diluted down, and you can use it as a wound wash, And you could even use it on yourself as well. So that's a handy thing to have. Another handy item for your horse first aid kit would be a couple of very small infant-sized disposable diapers. What in the world are you going to use that for, you might say? Well, if your horse develops a saddle sore from the girth, those disposable diapers can wrap right around your girth. You can put some silver honey ointment on the sore itself, wrap the diaper around your girth with the slick side towards the wound, and it will help prevent additional chafing from the girth. Also, a saddle that has multiple rigging adjustment is useful in this regard too, because you can adjust the rigging on your saddle to bring the cinch farther back away from that saddle sore. And I like to carry a small bottle of uh, what's called blue lotion, and it is this really dark purplish liquid that is a drying agent, and it almost has kind of a cauterizing effect on a wound. You're not going to use it on a deep laceration, but for an abrasion or chafed skin or maybe your horse is beginning to develop a saddle sore, The blue lotion can be useful for just kind of sealing off that skin and toughening it up a little bit um, to prevent further um, abrasion or chafing. 
I'm sure there are many, many other items, apparel or accessories that could be useful for you, depending on the activities you pursue. These are just the things that I could think of off the top of my head. But if you think of some additional items I've left out, please share them with me and with others on the Horse Goals or Bust Facebook page. We'd love to hear about them. And sharing it makes it available to all of us, and we can all learn something from that. So if you've found some clever trick or some kind of useful product or item that you think is a must-have, either for safety or comfort or just effectiveness, please let us know. And if you're just getting started on formulating your goals for this riding season, be sure to go to juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals to get all the information you need from my blog posts and previous podcast episodes. Also, be sure to download the worksheets I've put together for you that help you set up you and your horse for success. And remember, it's all free. So go ahead and jump on board for Horse Goals or Bust. Make the most out of this year, accomplish your goals, and live your best horse life. It's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hey, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Some of these questions are edited slightly for clarity or length. The first question is from Sherry. I know several people who routinely put earplugs in their horse's ears for horse shows, trail riding, or even to block out extra noise in their own arena. What are your feelings about this? Well, Sherry, for many activities like mounted shooting, earplugs are an absolute essential. Remember, your horse has uh, much more acute hearing than you do. Your horse hears much higher decibels and much lower decibels, and they rely on their hearing for their survival instinct. So when you're doing things with excessive noise, it's not a bad idea to protect your horse's ears. In the case of mounted shooting, of course, you're shooting a a loud gun right next to his ears, so it's critical there. Some horses can be hypersensitive to sound, And you'll know that about your horse if that's the case when he is reactive to sounds that other horses are not reactive to. By the way, horses can flatten their ears on their head in order to block out sound that might be hurting their ears. So oftentimes, if you go to a horse show that is taking place inside an indoor arena or a coliseum, when the horses line up at the end of the class and people start applauding, You'll notice that most of the horses pin their ears back, and that's because they're just protecting their ears from the sound. And so a lot of people that show their horses indoors will often use earplugs if they notice the horse is particularly sensitive to that sound. So it's not a bad idea. I would not routinely use earplugs on the horse. They're not that comfortable. And if your horse does not need them, there's no reason to use it. If you're not in an excessively noisy environment and your horse is not hyperactive to sound, it's probably not necessary. 
remember, horses do rely on sound in part, as well as all their other senses, to make sure they are safe. And if you take away the horse's ability to hear, it could make him actually more nervous. It's why on excessively windy days, you'll notice your horse is is much more nervous and edgy than he might be otherwise. And in part, that is because his sense of hearing is diminished because of the sound of the wind. It's also, by the way, because there is so much movement in the environment when it's windy. The trees are blowing, the branches are blowing, things are skittering across the ground, and your horse's vision is designed to pick up uh, sudden movements as well. So that um, makes him edgy too. Um, If you are using earplugs for horses, make sure they are specifically made for horses. Don't try to fashion them out of something else. And make sure you have an easy way to get them out and give your horse time to get used to them, both putting them in and taking them out. You know, it's really hard if you can't get them out and you end up shoving them down there even further. It could really create a problem for you and your horse. And our final question is from Conflicted in Colorado. I just love that instead of a name. And Conflicted says, I have a seven-year-old Mustang mare that I brought home three weeks ago. She has had plenty of groundwork and saddle training with a focus on reining and has spent lots of time in the arena as well as on the trails. I plan to spend most of my time with her out on public multi-use trails and at endurance rides. She seemed confident the times I visited and rode her before purchase. She was nervous coming home with me, but I figured she needed some time to settle. She is kind and very people-oriented, but she is also very nervous anytime she is introduced to something new. She often trembles with my farrier in the trailer, walking around new things on a lead line. She is more confident under saddle than on the lead line. And here's the kicker. She rips and runs. I did not even know this was a thing until I listened to your podcast about horses that rip and run. Holy cow. She does exactly as you explain it. When something makes her nervous or uncomfortable, and if I don't keep her head and nose turned to me, or at least close to me, she turns away and takes off. It happened several times before I figured out it was a thing she had perfected. She's easy to catch afterwards, and she doesn't go far. When I asked the previous owner about it, I was told she learned to pull back and run away from a trainer she was with at one point, and that she came back from the trainer more nervous, but they thought she had worked through it months ago. I've been told she has never bolted under saddle, although I've only put a few short rides on her. So I think I have two problems. The first is I have a nervous horse who seems to lack all confidence on the ground in new situations. The second is I have a horse who has learned to rip and run very effectively when she gets scared. My questions are, one, in what order and how should I address these issues? And do I need to give her some time off to decompress first? Two, I ultimately need a horse that will be safe with beginners on the ground. I am comfortable managing a horse that has learned to rip and run, but will I ever be able to trust her with others once she stops attempting it with me? 
As you say, horses don't unlearn things. This is a huge safety issue for me. Eventually, she will have people of all ages and levels handling her. If the answer is no, I think it would be best to find her a new home before I invest too much time and get attached. Okay. Conflicted in Colorado, you have a lot packed into that one question, which is actually two questions. (laughs) And although you did not meet the bar for being concise in your question, it's a really interesting one. So that's a big reason why we chose it. First of all, three weeks of having had this horse is nothing particularly for a previously feral horse, which you didn't really actually say she was feral, but um, generally when people are talking about Mustangs, um, they are talking about horses that were once feral and were rounded up and then put through some kind of training program. These horses that previously lived in wild conditions have much stronger instincts than domestic horses. Also, often the roundup process has been traumatic for them, and it has taught them to be extremely afraid of unknown situations because think about it, you know, one day they're out on the range and everything's happy and everything's fine. Next thing they know, they're being rounded up, often um, in in traumatic ways, uh, and their whole life is changed. They're separated from the horses they know. Um, They go through some really scary stuff. And all of that started with one new thing, whether it was a a strange horse with a rider on top of it approaching or a helicopter approaching or whatever. Something triggered that chain of events, and it was something they had never encountered before. And so this kind of behavior that you're describing is not at all unusual in feral horses that have been rounded up. Also, Horses are very specific location and what they learn and know. So you have brought this horse to an entirely new location where she is being handled by people who are strangers to her. This is too much new for this horse. Now, when she's older and she's had much, much more life experience, she might handle new situations better. But for now, she needs time to adjust. No, I don't think you need to give her time off. In fact, I don't think that would be good for her at all. I just think you need to be understanding that it's going to take time for her to gain confidence with new people and in a new location. So don't put too high expectations on her yet. I think it's important to continue to work with her in a systematic and methodical way to teach her what you expect, what your rules are how you will treat her always fairly, that you will always be clear, that you will never put her in danger. You're going to give her lots and lots of praise so that she learns that you are a safe person to be around and that you will always keep her safety first and foremost in mind. So give her a little time there. In terms of the fear, the high level of fear and the trembling, This is also not at all uncommon in feral horses that have been rounded up. Again, their instincts are so much keener than a horse that's been in a domestic situation all its life. So I would encourage you to teach her some calm down cues, teach her to drop her nose all the way to the ground, pet her and soothe her and talk, whisper sweet nothings in her ear, praise her when she's got her head down. This will, it's, it's just 
it's physically impossible for a horse to be tense and scared when their head is down low. So it will teach her a means of calming herself down. You'll find that when we teach horses to fearful and nervous horses to drop their head on command all the way to the ground in very short order, they will start doing it themselves anytime they feel nervous because it helps them calm down and they get a little release of endorphins when their head is down there. It sort of brings a chemical sense of well-being to them as well as that physiological one. I think you can build confidence in this mare, very small steps from the ground. Look, the only reason why she's better under saddle than on the ground is because she's had more training under saddle. Sounds like somebody has done quite a lot of under saddle training with her and probably not much in-hand training or groundwork with her. So I think going back and filling in that hole will take you a long way. As I said earlier, um, the place to build a relationship with a horse is from the ground. And you want to make sure all the things that you do with this horse are making her look to you as the leader and making her feel safe with you and um, in such a way that makes her want to be with you. Again, taking small steps. Uh, giving her lots and lots of praise when she deserves it, and most importantly, being very consistent in the ways that you handle, the routines that you do with her, do things in the same order every day, in the same place every day, um, give her consistent cues, do, do your groundwork exercises in a very consistent, methodical way in the same order every day. And that sense of order uh, really helps uh, a horse like this uh, find find some calmness. Now let's talk a bit about the rip and run. Sounds like you've already done a little research on that. I have um, talked about it in my podcast. I've written a lot about it on my website. Uh, We've got some videos on the YouTube channel about it. It is a a very difficult situation. What happens in this situation is generally it happens accidentally at first, but once a horse learns that they can turn away and rip the rope out of your hands in order to get away, in other words, they learn that they can overpower you if they get in a certain position, that is not something you can unlearn. The horse will forever know it. It does sound to me like your horse is not just employing those tactics when they just don't want to do something, but instead she's employing that tactic when she's afraid. So as you build confidence, I think you'll see that behavior diminish. However, anytime you get the horse in a situation, in a new place, a new handler, or a fearful situation, she is going to be prone to to do that. She knows how to do it. Mustangs, when they have this strong desire to leave, as many of them do, they ultimately would like to leave and go back to where they once were. And it can become debilitating. I don't think it is in in the case of your horse, but sometimes it becomes all the horse can think about is leaving. And If you combine that with perfecting the skill of ripping and running, it's a very difficult thing. 
yes, you can. Sounds like you have plenty of competency in order to manage that yourself. I'm a little bit um, concerned about your question, will this horse ever be safe with beginners? And will this behavior go away? I think through training and consistent handling as the horse matures, as the horse has more life experience, that this will diminish over time. But I cannot confidently tell you it's going to go away permanently. From what I see now, this is probably not a horse that's going to be appropriate for beginners. Sounds like she's a great horse for you. I don't understand fully why she does have to be safe around beginners and strangers, but, and, and mares in particular can be very challenged when it comes to dealing with strangers. Uh, mares are, are much more relationship oriented than geldings and they tend to be distrustful. Um, they want to earn a relationship with someone, develop a relationship with somebody. And those are, you know, things that happen over time, not immediately. I can't really honestly say one way or another. It's quite possible this horse could become safe for beginners, but right now, clearly she's not. And she sounds like with the trembling and those kind of excessive fear behaviors that she has a, a temperament that might not ever be conducive to being around beginners or total strangers. So, look, she sounds like a really awesome horse that's just been in a couple of bad situations. You are very new to this horse. She's very new to you. I don't think you've given it enough time. Um, I, I would encourage you to give it at least six months. Give her time to settle in. Give it time to develop a relationship with her. Teach her better ground manners, doing relationship building groundwork with the horse. And then revisit this question in about six months. If it's imperative for you that every horse you have has to be totally beginner safe and stranger safe, she might not work out to be the right horse um, for you. But in that process, you will have made her a much better horse for someone else. There are a lot of horses out there, a Mustang or not, that are one people horses. In other words, they they just do better when they're only handled by one person. And if that's who she is, that's who she is. There's nothing wrong with her. That's just the type of temperament that she has. So I wouldn't be too quick to give up on this horse. I'd give it a little more time and revisit the question about six months from now. As far as what order to address your training, first and foremost, building confidence in this horse and teaching her some calm down cues. Secondly, I would address her ground manners through doing specific groundwork exercises. If you're unclear about what that looks like, again, I highly recommend my lead line leadership video. Gives you very detailed, progressive training exercises for ground manners and uh, relationship building. I already talked about the fact that having structure and rules and consistency is going to be super important to building confidence in this horse and making her feel safe. So again, I, I can't tell you one way or the other if she's ever going to be safe for beginners. So far, it doesn't look like that. I would say definitely not for the foreseeable future. In other words, if she does become safe for beginners and strangers to handle 
it's probably going to be a few years. So um, the rip and run tactic, she will always know. She will always be capable of that. That tends to be specific to the person handling her. In other words, you know how to manage it. So she'll eventually quit trying it with you because she won't ever have success. But she'll also know that with other people, she could have success. So that's not generally something we can completely eliminate from the horse's repertoire because she's already learned how to do it. So it's just something we have to learn to manage. You know, um, I don't, I don't want to leave you with the feeling that this is a bad horse or that you should give up on her because she sounds like she has a lot of really great traits and that she has a lot of good training. These are just some issues that you're going to have to work through. And again, I think you're going to need to give it a lot more time than three weeks before you really start understanding the answers to these questions. So give us a follow-up shout out in a few months. We'd like to hear from Conflicted in Colorado once again, and we'd, we'd love to hear the outcome uh, of this horse. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you're busy working towards your horsemanship goals for this year and that you're inspired to accomplish something that's important to you. And if you feel like sharing what those goals are and how you're going on your horse goals or bust plan, I'd love to read your comments. Next month, we'll be talking about traveling with horses, logistics, um, what to do to make sure you and your horse are prepared for travel. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you. And I appreciate all your feedback, your suggestions, and your questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. But remember to hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. It means a lot to me and it helps new listeners find the podcast. Don't forget to check out my online memberships to my academy. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. Or you can get online coaching from me with my Interactive Academy membership. I'll help you assess where you and your horse are now so you can move forward with a structured 12-month training plan and personalized coaching from me every step of the way. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills. I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life easier. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. <music>